You may notice that we have uh, purple pyramids up. This is, that color is usually for Advent and Lent. We put it up during this series after last week. We realized we should have had them up last Sunday um, just to honor our series and focus on purple. So if you're wondering, if you're one of those people that knows about the colors up here, that's why they're here. We're going to turn to the last part of chapter 1 of Philippians. We started with uh, an earlier section of chapter 1, and Paul is continuing to speak to them, and this is what he writes. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them this is evidence of, your, of their destruction, but to, of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Join me in a prayer. Gracious God. Use these words of Paul to speak to us. Give us a sense of the calling it places on our lives and the challenge that it presents to us, even if at face value we may not see the fullness of that challenge just yet. Guide this church. as we consider who we really are as a congregation and who you are calling us to be. These we ask in Christ's name, amen. Who do you have to be around to be at your best? What conditions have to be in place for you to be able to 
be completely yourself without worry. What group of people does that involve? Where you feel most at home, the kind of people where you can let your hair down and, you know, say basically anything you need to say without worry of them taking it the wrong way. Where, who is that? Is it your family? Maybe not, maybe. Is it your church small group? Or maybe you have a group of friends that function in that way for you, where you feel most comfortable, most at home most yourself. Now, who doesn't do that for you? What kinds of people make you nervous? Set your teeth on edge. What qualities, positions, beliefs, ideologies do they have to have? I'm not talking about people that would cause you physical harm or threaten you in that way. I'm talking about good people that simply have a completely different understanding of the way things are and the way the world works. What kinds of people are those that just you really struggle to be yourself around? Who makes you anxious? I'll put it this way. Where would you feel most uncomfortable a Democratic National Convention or a Republican National Convention? Which one? I will tell you, I'll confess, I don't know. I think I, I would probably personally feel equally uncomfortable at both. That's where I am, just kind of, just to let you know. But where would you, could you even go and be part of the one that makes you more on, could you even do that? Could you even do it? You should be able to do it. And yet it's probably a struggle. It shows how far divided we actually are. Who makes you anxious? Now the challenge is to be able to take that feeling of being at home with the people you're at home with and to carry that with you when you're not at home and to be able to be that way when you're not with the people you are most at home with, to be able to take that kind of posture and that kind of, of sense and, and have that with you and be that way in when, when places where you're not at home, in places where you're more uncomfortable. That's the challenge. That's the trick. And it's the next step in being a purple church, to take on that challenge. In our reading today, Paul actually does that very thing. That's what he's actually doing. He's being vulnerable, which is outside of his comfort zone. I mean, vulnerability is not a word that immediately comes to my mind when I hear Paul's name. You know, strong-minded, you know, uh, highly confident, 
almost arrogant. I mean, Paul was a force. He was a force. And he was, you know, just dogmatic about things, right? Except at the same time, you see these glimpses of him being absolutely willing to be vulnerable and completely honest about what he's thinking and where he is. And he does it here in this letter to the Philippians. He's writing from jail, when he's speaking about the things that I'll get to in just a minute. And it's not the only place he does this. It's not the only place he opens up and becomes vulnerable and takes a risk. One other place I can think of is in Romans, where he's talking about, as some translations categorize the section, the inner conflict. He's talking about sin, and he opens up, and he says to them, he says, why is it that I do the very things I don't want to do? I do the thing I hate. Why do I do the thing I don't want to do, and what I do want to do, I don't do? Why is that? I mean, he he just expresses that part about himself in a moment of vulnerable risk that he takes shows his complete willingness to step out of his comfort zone where he feels most at home. Take a risk. As we said last week, he did write to the Philippians from jail. He's in a jail cell. And of course, everybody probably knew it, but he didn't have to talk about it. I mean, he, didn't, he could have avoided that altogether, you know, and put on a good face and everything's all good and fine and but he, instead he owns it. He owns this reality that he's in and he uses that and, be, and expresses his honest feelings about where he is in a moment of vulnerability. You may have caught it. He, he talks, he says, about his basically the verdict, what the verdict might be, whether it's life or death. He doesn't know. That's what he's referring to. We don't know the, I don't know the verdict, what is, what it's going to be determined as to the outcome of what the Romans are going to say and Is it going to be life or death? And then he gets vulnerable. He says, and I don't know which one I prefer. I'm got this, I'm conflicted about it. And that language in the first part of Semi is somewhat bumpy. Professor Fred Craddock points that out, says this, awkward phrasing, disjointed sentencing, back and forth kind of, Weirdness is, speaks to the fact that Paul is experiencing great mental anguish and conflict over this thing. Paul says it himself, I am hard-pressed between the two. Other translations say, I am torn. I'm torn. The mere fact that he's willing to share that honesty about where he is, shows his overall willingness to step out of his comfort zone, to be vulnerable, to take a risk, even at the risk of being criticized for it. It's not the only thing he does. He then goes on to say, he goes on to challenge the Philippians to do the same thing. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says. Live a life worthy. He moves on to them and challenges them to do the same things. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, he's saying to them, step out. Risk being vulnerable. 
even if your opponents, as he puts it, criticize you. Be able to step out of the herd. Now, the phrase stepping out of the herd is one I came up with, but the, the idea of herding is one that Rabbi Edwin Friedman comes up with in his book, A Failure of Nerve. We're using it as part of this series, and, and he lists five characteristics that he says highly anxious groups, societies, families, exhibit when they are highly anxious. The five are reactivity, hurting, blame displacement, a quick fix mentality, and loss of, dif- of self-differentiated leadership. Those five, we're using one each week to kind of learn about who we are and, and what perhaps the calling of, of the Christian life is in a world like that. So hurting is today. And the idea is simple. It's quite obvious. Is We tend We feel safer in groups than we do all out there by ourselves. We feel much safer in groups than we do standing all out by ourselves. And we gravitate towards groups. We tend to gravitate towards groups of people who look and think like we do, right? We tend to gravitate towards those groups, like-minded groups in that way. Look and think and everything like we do. We tend to gravitate that way, which means we move away from groups who don't appear to look and act and think like we do. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, actually. That's quite normal and natural. And and you need those places where you feel safe. It's even healthy to have those places of safety. But the problem arises when that's all you do. When all we do is spend all of our time in a group who looks and acts and thinks supposedly exactly like we do, then we start to become foolishly thinking that and believe that that identity is the only one worth having. And we begin to lose perspective on what people who don't look and act and think like we do might be experiencing. We lose that perspective. In other words, if all we do is clump together in the groups who look and act and think like us, we tend to then become less caring about and more reactive to people who have a different experience. Friedman puts it this way. He says, the overall effect of hurting is this. If reactivity causes hurting, meaning we we causes people to hurt because we don't want to deal with the reactivity, then hurting increases the conditions for reactivity. In other words, the more reactive we are, the more hurting we do, the more hurting we do, the more reactive we, we become. It becomes a downward cycle. We have to be willing to step out of the herd. We have to be willing to entertain an opinion that we don't want to hear, even if it means, makes the hairs on the back of our neck stand on end. 
We have to be willing to try and do that from time to time. That's not easy. It's a big challenge. It takes a lot of courage to do that, doesn't it? After all, we don't want to be the ones who have the only in a group that has the opinion we have. We don't want to be the, that person. We, we just, we don't want to feel like we're the oddball, especially in a world that's highly reactive. We would much rather just stay quiet, right? And I get that. We all get that. We would much rather be at home, safe with the people we know. We're, Paul had to be nervous when he wrote to these churches. There's no, no way he wasn't nervous. I mean, he knew them, but he didn't know all of them. And the churches, of course, added to their number as when he went one there. And he, you know, groups of people that he didn't know. And he's writing and being vulnerable and honest. He had to be nervous about it. It took a whole lot of courage for him to do it. And we're, we're not the only life forms that do this. Take cows, for example. You know how to get a herd to move. You don't have to get the whole herd. You just have to get a couple of them to start going. And the rest of them follow suit. Why? Because they don't want to leave the herd. That's, you know, if a cow could do that, it, it totally wouldn't. You've seen some of them, their eyes, they get, you see it in their eyes. You want to get them to move, just get two of them to move. The rest of them will go. You might have one straggler, but they're crazy weird. Most of them. Horses aren't any different sometimes. They do the exact same thing. I remember years ago when I was at camp, and we were doing one of those long trail rides, you know, where you got this long line. I mean, the whole long line of, of horses. You know, you ever done that? And, you know, if you, if you know how to, you know, handle a horse, you know that they don't want to leave the line. You cannot get them to leave. You can try all you want, and, and, and they'll turn their head, but they'll keep walking in the line. I mean, they'll pull, you can pull the reins around, and they'll be like this. But they keep walking. They want to. And so we were in this long line, and, and we were going through a gate. And all of a sudden, a breeze or something happened, and the gate shut with only half of the line had gone through. And the guy in the front of the line didn't know that the gate is shut so they just kept going and here we are on the guy in the back of the line you know and they had told us don't get off your horse for any reason so we're all sitting there and we're waiting for the counselor to come all the way up and finally gets to the front by the time he gets to the gate we couldn't even see where the the line went guess who was the first one to have to go me and I'm this little kid my horse's name was salty dog I found out why. Opened the gate, and Salty Dog lived up to his name, boy. You, he got completely freaked out and took off at a full run, could not, desperate to get back to the end of the line where he was safe. And I'm trying to, it was just too, I'm trying to control him and pull him, and he starts getting upset, and he starts kicking, and he completely starts jumping and bucking around, throws me off. It was a complete ball of frantic, nervous energy. 
I got up. Friend took me on the back of their horse, found mine where? Right at the end of the line. I got back on. It's fine. Just fine. Just as calm as, you know. We're like that too. When we feel like we're isolated, even with a group of people, if we feel uncomfortable with a group where we get nervous, anxious, emotional, reactive, we lash out. The thing is, we have to be willing to to step out of the comfort levels and comfort places in our lives. We have to be willing to step out of the herd to somehow learn how to take that posture we have when we are at home with others into places where we don't feel quite as at home. When Paul was writing to the Philippians, he had no idea how they'd respond to him. I mean, he had some, but he had no clue ultimately. They could have done anything. They could have thought he was too much information, Paul, you know, they could have disagreed with him, could have, could have reacted to him, they could have written him off altogether when he gets this kind of level of vulnerability and honesty with them, takes a chance and takes a risk being vulnerable. They could have done that. He, he wasn't sure. He did it anyway. He did it anyway. Last week, We learned that being a purple church, the first step is remembering who is Lord. The second step is learning how to step out of the herd. You might think of it this way. Most of the time a ship, a boat, is safest in the harbor. But that's not what a boat was designed to do. A boat was designed to set out on the open water. You might feel safest in the group of people who you feel like are like you, think like you. But that is ultimately not the people God has called us to be. Be willing to step out of the herd which means that you might be the only one in a group who has the opinion you have, the belief you have, the position you have. It might mean that do it anyway. How else are you going to grow if all you do is stay in the harbor? To live is Christ, Paul says. To live is Christ. And what does Christ do but call us to go out into the world for the sake of the gospel, to be in the world, to become the kind of people who have the courage to step out of the herd, risk being vulnerable. It's what the Christian life is all about. It's a big challenge. Think about it. 